Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hey, Trojan fans, publisher Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Got a very special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We are third one this week. We had our regular podcast with Dan and Coach Harvey Hyde. We had Yogi Roth coming on the show yesterday talking about all things USC quarterbacking and life in a walk. And we want to keep that quarterback theme going. We have Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports, who's the author of VQB, the new book that it just came out. And it's, uh, it's a really good read. We want to talk to him about that. And some really interesting USC ties to the book. Bruce Feldman joining the show. What's up, Bruce? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. Good to be on with you. Good to talk about QB. Hopefully, you can help me sell some books. Let, let's sell some books. It's a, I, you know, I read it. I loved it. Uh, it's really good stuff. This is your fourth book, so some really interesting stuff behind college football. Uh, he wrote K Mutiny. Uh, about the Miami program and uh, Meat Market, which was great as far as getting inside a recruiting war room. Uh, swing Your Sword with Mike Leach up at, uh, uh, when he was at Texas Tech. Now he's up at Washington State where USC just came back from. And we might, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit too. And now the QB. And you can follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. And he has a website, BruceFeldman.com. Pretty easy, F-E-L-D-M-A-N. And, of course, he's now with Fox Sports, and you can see him on Fox Sports 1 quite a bit. He's, he's in there joking around with Matt Leinert. So we got to get to see a little bit more of your face on TV now, Bruce. Yeah, you know what? It's, uh, we got a lot of USC presence there between Leinert and Petros. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got to go both the good and the bad. They're very different personalities, but it's fun. And uh, it's, it's been a fun group. I worked at ESPN a long time. I worked at, at CBS the past three years. Being local, it's been uh, great just to drive down the street. And, and go to the studio, and, um, you know, it's a fun group to work with. And, you know, he's a daddy of little seven-month-old twins now, so he's uh, been a little bit busy. It's been a crazy transition, I guess, going from CBS to Fox and having a couple little mouths to feed at home. Yeah, it's the, the I mean, you know, the transition from job is, hasn't been that crazy. It's the transition from from not having kids to having kids and not being able to sleep and <laughs> and doing all the stuff that happens when you have to, you know, have two little ones. So that's been the big adjustment. Everything else is easy. That's been a challenge. Well, we, uh, we talked about the different books. Before we jump into the QB, um, you got to know Mike Leach really well. Um, I mean, if people, you know, that was back in 2011 with Swing Your Sword. And uh, USC actually just went up to a trip to the Palouse, and I was up there as well as cold and rainy. It seems like Mike Leach is doing a pretty good job. They don't have the best record this year. But I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, you know him really well. What, what's the future of Mike Leach up there at Washington State? And what, what have you thought he, about the job he's done so far? You know, I think I honestly expected him to, to win more by this point. You know, last year in the second season, he got him to a bowl game, which was their first bowl in about a decade. Um, you know, and I thought that they would be able to build off it. There were some challenges that they had. You know, the the, uh, the secondary is almost entirely new, and I think that was going to be a challenge. And, um you know, I do think they upgraded some of the personnel at receiver in the offensive line, but the quarterback Connor Halliday has been there a while, so I expected that to, to uh, you know, to carry them at least to go to maybe seven wins. But you know, they got off to a shaky start. They really, you know, had a couple of just games where they kind of blew it on their own, 
and uh, you know they had some good games. They played they played Oregon very well, but ended up losing by a touchdown. And they beat Utah at Utah, but by and large, it's just been way in, way too inconsistent. And um, I think the thing with Leach is, you know, it's a it's he's going to do what he does. And it takes almost everyone around him to adjust to it. They had some big special teams breakdowns. He's changed special teams coordinators in midstream uh, after, you know, they scored, I don't know, 58 points and will still lose to Cal. So I think I think some of this stuff with him is uh, next year to me, it'll be his fourth year. I think that'll be a big year. I'm not saying he's going to go totally on the hot seat, but I feel like, you know, they're going to expect him to go to a bowl next year. And this season, now he's lost to Connor Holiday for the rest of the year. There's a very good chance that they, they'll be lucky to win to win three games this year, whereas that was what they did the first year. And I think that, um, you know, that's a tough tough spot to be in in year three. And they're paying him a lot of money. And now he has up their profile, which is a good thing. And I, like I said, I do think he's made it better. But, you know, in 2014, they're going to have some challenges to uh, to get to to get to a bowl game, or else you know I think it's going to be it's tough for anybody to be there and and not uh, getting results. And I think it's it's been a, probably a harder job than he probably thought it would be. Yeah, it's certainly been a struggle up there. And I was, I mean, it's a neat little community if you've never been up there. The you know, the the real town is really Moscow, Idaho, across the the border, about eight miles away. But uh, Pullman's fun, and you know they got some you know, neat little bars and the, the students really get into it. It's kind of like a, it's a bigger university in a small town. And I guess across the way in Moscow, there's like University of Idaho, which is like a smaller university in a little bit bigger town. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to get to. It's, I can understand some players not wanting to go up there. It was really cold when we were up there, even in the press box, it was cold. And, you know, I feel bad for the students and it was raining and cold and there was fog and it wasn't really the best environment, but it seemed like he was kind of making it fun at least in the beginning, and I, and like I said, I agree with you. If next year they don't do really well, even though he's a big name and I think he's done some good things, you have to look at they might have to make some kind of change up there. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, at, at this point, you know, I look and and most of their best players are, are California recruits, and you're not going to beat UCLA or USC for any of them. I know that they had a kid recruited committed for a while, and he flipped to USC I don't know, a month ago or so. And that's, that can happen. I mean, their best defensive back is a kid who grew up right outside the Coliseum, and you know, I think they were fortunate USC only had 15 scholarships, so he ended up there. Um, you know, they were able to, you know, he was able to keep his D-line coach, who's probably his second-best recruiter, and that was a guy USC had wanted as the D-line coach for a little bit at this offseason. And they do have some good personnel. It's just, you know, it's inconsistent. I think ultimately, you know, they – it's about, uh, you know, will they be consistent on all three sides of the ball? And at this point, they haven't been that. You know, that doesn't mean that they uh, they can't get it turned around and going because, I mean, he, he started to have some momentum and then it just kind of backslid a little bit. But, um, you know, he's won a lot of games, and I, I imagine he'll get it figured out sooner than later. But it's it's definitely been a struggle there. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the book, uh, the QB, the new book. And uh, for those of you out there, we're going to sell some books for Bruce here, but Bruce lives here in Manhattan Beach. Uh, he's a Southern, you know, he lives in Southern California. He was in New York before. If you t- want to talk about SEC bias and stuff, it's good. I mean, just having someone that covers college football on a national level that lives on the West Coast, I think it helps, gives you more perspective. And in this book, there is a ton of West Coast perspective between the, the SoCal quarterback gurus and 
there's Tom House in there and, and, and you know, the, the opening and the Elite 11 being played out here on the West Coast. It's a really good, you know, national college football book and a book about not just college football, but quarterbacks in general. But it's really good, a good West Coast perspective. So I think if you're a, a USC fan out here, you'll you'll definitely enjoy the book. And the most important thing to me about this book, Bruce, is if you turn to the back cover, what is up with your picture on the back sleeve there? What's going on with that? Yeah, it looks, you know what, it was one where they did it for Fox, and it looks like I'm a little bit of a motivational speaker in there, I think. Um, motivational speaker? It's more like, I think it's more like if you wrote a horror book and you're trying to scare somebody out there. Oh, no? uh, okay. You're not, you're not helping me that much. <laughs> I'm not helping, no, just, Bruce and pictures don't go, uh, they don't have a great history, I guess you could say. Do you, do you think it looks a little scary? It looks kind of like, it's a Friday the 13th kind of book, Bruce. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going for, <laughs> Exactly. No. So okay. So what did you feel it was? Uh, the picture. Yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, the picture's fine. It's not. Um, <laughs> the picture's fine. Okay. Picture's All right. We'll go. <laughs> we'll let the readers decide. So write in, write it says podcast at uscfootball.com when you pick up the book, and I know you will. Let us know what you think of that picture of Bruce on the back cover. If it should be a scary book or... You know, Ryan, when you get to be our age, as you and I are, I think you just stop worrying about stuff like that. Oh, okay. Well, you're actually older than me, Bruce. I don't know. Just for a full hey, one of us, one of us was a classmate of Tim Tesselone, and it wasn't me. So. <laughs> also, one of us was born in the 70s, and another of us was born in the 60s. So I, and I was not born in the 60s. So we'll... Uh, we'll... <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. So, sorry, we don't want to uh, go down that rat hole there. I want to talk about the book because it is really good. All joking aside about Bruce's scary picture on the back. Um, there's so much Southern California ties to this. And I think it starts with the, the SoCal quarterbacking gurus. It's a whole industry that seemed to pop up right here in Southern California. And a lot of the big names are, are from here and operate out of here. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it really does start with Steve Clarkson. Uh, you know, it was a local L.A. kid who ended up playing at San Jose State, and he kind of fell into the industry. Um, it's crazy, and, you know, it's, this story is told in the book. Um, you know, as he said, it, the whole industry started with a backflip. It actually started with Gary Klein, the L.A. Times uh, beat writer, his cousin Perry, who ended up being a really prolific quarterback uh, and ended up going to Cal briefly and then uh, to a smaller school and ended up getting drafted in the NFL. But Steve Clarkson really was like kind of a master marketer and saw that, you know, he could transform some kids with some ability and some good coaching and some, some really savvy marketing and build a brand. And before he knew it, he had a lot of, a lot of the sons of very affluent businessmen, uh, you know, paying him lots of money and he was traveling all over the country and, and that grew. And then Bob Johnson, whose son, Rob, you know, had a lot of success and played in the NFL. And Bob was in Orange County, and Bob was an alternative to that. He wasn't charged with as much money, but a uh, you know, different personality. And then you had, you had Roger Theater, who was up in, uh, you know, Cal Stanford coach for a while, and he was up in the Bay Area. And so that's really, it took off in Southern California. And I think that was one of the reasons why you've seen so many guys thriving in college football coming from here is because they get – such uh, advanced training and such extra time. And the business just took off from there. And uh, so I think people get to see it, where it was and how it's grown. And, and now it's not just Steve Clarkson. You have Trent Dilfer and all his protégés. Dilfer's a, you know, obviously prominent ESPN announcer and now the head of the Elite 11. He's got all these guys under him. A bunch of them are former backup NFL quarterbacks. Uh, there's George Whitfield, who's in San Diego, who came out of nowhere. And now he coaches everyone from... Johnny Manziel to 
Everett Golson to Connor Cook and Bryce Petty from Baylor. So it's a it's a thriving business and it's really taken off, especially in the last five or six years. The uh, it's interesting. One of the more interesting parts about the book is you kind of talk about how much these guys make, and you talk about a Clarkson making six figures, like you know, blowing things out. Like one player might have played him, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars over his career. And a guy like Bob Johnson really just kind of doing it, you know, there, there's guys that are making like a little bit of money and the guys that are making a ton of money. It just seems weird. There's no regulation or anything like that, obviously, but just how much they want to get out there and market and who they're trying to go after. Yeah, and it's it's a thriving business. I mean, Steve Clarkson has, and to his credit, he has developed a lot of star quarterbacks. I mean, Matt Leiner, who I work with now, won a Heisman at USC, had a great career. He was a longtime Steve Clarkson guy. Jimmy Clawson and his brothers, all Clarkson guys, their dad, swears by Steve Clarkson said, you know, if he spent six figures on it, it was worth it. You know, like they got college scholarships, Jimmy Clawson's in the NFL and they credit him, you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, his business is still thriving. And Steve Sarkeesian was actually one of, one of, uh, one of Steve Clarkson's first clients, you know, and, and that relationship, you know, has really grown. And so, you know, even, you know, in part of the book, I, I go out there to Cathedral High School where Clarkson's training a bunch of quarterbacks on Sunday morning. His business is still thriving. Brady White, you know, four-star guy, go, committed to ASU. Travis Waller, four-star guy, committed to Oregon. These are real protégés of, <coughs> excuse me, of Steve Clarkson. Another guy who was a protégé of Steve Clarkson, Ricky Town, um, you know, five-star quarterback, was committed to Alabama, and then now he's committed to USC. He was living in Northern California. He started training with Steve Clarkson in grade school. Steve Clarkson convinced the family, hey, move to Southern California. They did. Eventually, Ricky Towns decided not to train with Clarkson as a different private quarterback coach. But um, you kind of see that his story, uh, the, the story of Ricky Town kind of growing. At the end of the book, he's really, you know, his story is one of the last ones, that, you know, I, I get into. And it's really about how this kid who had been, you know, I faced so much pressure in terms of to live up to being this five-star guy last off season, and you know it was almost like football wasn't any fun for him. And he gotten really worn down. He was injured at the time, so people were like, maybe they didn't know that, but his stock was taking a hit, at least his recruiting stock. And uh, he goes to the Elite Eleven, and you know they do a lot of new age kind of coaching, and you know there's Pete Carroll's uh, performance coach. Uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, a leading sports psychologist, worked with a bunch of Olympic gold medalists. You know, he really got in, got in Ricky Town's head. Yogi Roth, I think they got in Ricky Town's head, and you know, talking to both him and talking to his his dad, say they changed him, his life basically, and and made football great again for him, and changed him as a kid. And I think that's a pretty cool story to end on. Yeah, so the it's really one of the last pieces in the book uh, for Ricky Town for USC fans. Uh, he's a you know commit, two thousand class of two thousand fifteen. USC actually has two commits: uh, Sam Darnold and Ricky Town. Sam Darnold more of the unheralded guy. Ricky Town more of the five star guy that kind of dropped back, like Bruce said. And we had Yogi Roth on the show uh, this week, Bruce, and he, you know he kind of talked about both of those guys a little bit. But really, an interesting transformation for Ricky Town, and uh, I think it's a, a really neat way to end the book. I think there's some some negative stuff, of course, about, you know, you'd look at basketball AAU coaches and there could be a lot of problems. I mean, basically, Johnny Manziel mentioning his quarterback coach as opposed to his college coach. There's some kind of negative things that creep in like mm-hmm. that. But I think there's a lot of positives, too. And, and seeing Ricky Town, who's got all the talent in the world, 
kind of transform his mental game a little bit, part of the Elite 11. It seemed like it made Trent Dilfer, Yogi Roth, and all those coaches really happy to see him kind of change his whole attitude and, and change his outlook on football. Yeah, that's something that I know Trent Dilfer and his whole TDFB group and all those guys in the Elite 11, he's been tried to be very proactive in. Um, and I think in Dilfer's case, he's had to learn to be more patient with guys who may struggle early on and not you know, kind of write them off. You know, and I think, you know, here's Yogi, who is, you know, probably the most upbeat, positive guy either one of us know. Um, I think he's been a good sounding board there, and he's very mindful of the issues that a lot of times 16- and 17-year-old blue-chip kids are dealing with. And I think that's a good mix, and I think sometimes, in the case of a guy like Rick Town, it really does benefit them dramatically. The uh, the. Stuff in Johnny Manziel that was really interesting parts of the book. It was you know, Manziel's throughout. If you look at the back uh, where they kind of put footnotes or wherever you, you know, guys are mentioned, there's Johnny Manziel throughout the book, obviously, big, you know, big name out there. Um, it was interesting you kind of follow him through. But do you think that's an issue where guys like him would be mentioning George Whitfield as opposed to Kevin Sumlin or whoever they're, you know, their quarterback coach or their offensive coordinator at the school? It seemed like that was – it's kind of a point of contention, I guess, with some of the college coaches that would hear him say things like that when he would mention the quarterback coach as opposed to their college coaches. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to it. When you have a, uh, you know, one of the one of the um, college coaches I talked to who's an offensive coordinator said, the one thing I never want to hear from my guy is, but George says. I don't want to hear, but George says. You know, he wants, you know, George can supplement what they do in the off season, but they do not want him to trump anything they do. And I think in the case of Manziel, you know, he leaned on Whitfield so much, like a big brother, that I think sometimes that stuff got muddled. Yeah, the uh, you got to follow Manziel throughout this whole process. He's a really interesting uh, character. Uh, we haven't seen him start in Cleveland yet. So the book ends, obviously, with you know the draft. And you're not seeing what's going to happen when he goes to Cleveland, um, you know, he's friends with, you know, rappers and LeBron James and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what do you think is going on in, in Manziel's head right now? Kind of, you know, the Browns are doing pretty well, but he's not playing. That just doesn't seem to fit his personality. Well, I think right now, you know, even though he may not realize that this is a good thing, I think he needs time to just kind of uh, absorb what goes on in the NFL game. He and Brian Hoyer are very different personalities. That doesn't mean he can't learn from Brian Hoyer. But, uh, you know, I think Manziel has a lot of growing up to do. And it's not a bad thing for him to, to grow up and watch some guy who's having some success who does things a little differently, and maybe it can shape the way he does things. I mean, ultimately, I do think Johnny Manziel will have success. I don't know how well he'll be able to sustain it, but I do think, you know, he's wired a certain way. He's ultra-competitive, and I do think he can have some success. But I think he can grow up, and I think he can mature. You know, as you see throughout the book, there's a lot of, like, head-scratching, you know, frantic behavior from him. And you see how different his world is compared to everything else that we would associate with a big-time college football star. The, uh, you know, the, the real interesting part, there's a lot of interesting parts, but about when the Cowboys were about to pick him, they kind of go through, you guys go through the green room for Johnny Manziel, what he's been going on during the NFL draft. And I was just thinking back to last weekend, or Sunday night, or Sunday, whatever it was, when, uh, Tony Romo wasn't able to go, and you know the Giants. I mean, the uh, Cowboys have been on a great run and doing, you know, playing a lot better than anyone thought. But with Romo hurt, 
if that was Johnny Manziel coming in there instead and seeing what would have happened. I just kept thinking back to the book. I'm like, wow, I wonder what happened if Jerry Jones would have picked up Manziel and he get to spell uh, Tony Romo for a while. Yeah, now in fairness, that one of the one of the keys to their offensive line, you know, Zach Martin from Notre Dame, is a guy who they wouldn't have had, you know, if they didn't, you know, if they took took Manziel. So, um, you know, hindsight would be twenty twenty on that, and I'm sure Johnny Manziel would love to prove, you know, he's buddies with Jerry Jones. They have a good relationship. I'm sure he would love to prove Jerry Jones and everybody else who passed on him wrong. But we'll see if it works out. You know, maybe if he was in Dallas, he'd have so many more challenges and issues that it might. It might be more trouble than it's worth for him. The uh, the competitiveness between these coaches, and uh, I've seen some of it just with with Trent Dilfer, and and you know, there's issues with the Elite Eleven and some of the different recruiting services. You know, we're part USCFootball.com is part of Scout now. Um, you know, we go cover the Elite Eleven, some of the regional events, and cover the uh, you know the national event, which is now held up in Oregon, uh, right? You know, a couple of days before the opening. I was up there last year, as you were too. Bruce and I, I can see some defensiveness when, and you know, some of the quotes you see in the books, and I've seen it from Trent Dilfer before about if you know they they evaluate a quarterback a certain way and they feel like that's the best way, and if you evaluate a different way, it doesn't seem like that's good enough. We don't agree with that. And there's some that are like, well, you never played quarterback before. There's, but there seems to be a real big competitive spirit kind of going on. And if you didn't play in the NFL, how can you evaluate quarterbacks? There was a. Um, What's is it, Garcia? Who's the what's the quarterback, Garcia? Jeff Garcia. Jeff Garcia, yeah. Um, you know, talking about some of the different stuff. What did you see from that competitiveness between the different quarterback coaches? Oh, it's definitely. I mean, the, the, what you speak of. I mean, there's some some pretty good detail of the rivalry between Jeff Garcia, longtime former NFL quarterback, and George Whitfield, who didn't play it. You know, he did play college football, but it was Division Two. And George Whitfield, who never played in the NFL, but he's a much bigger name in the in the training business than, than Jeff Garcia. And they cross paths a couple of times, have some really awkward encounters. Uh, you're right. Dilfer, Dilfer has probably spent more time studying the position at the highest level than anybody out there. And obviously played in the NFL for a long time and still has a lot of connections there. And I think, you know, his feeling is I, you know, I have more faith in my evaluation than anybody else does. Now, you know, one thing that, you know, I kind of write about it towards the end of the book in this draft chapter is, you know, whether it's Merrill Hodge, who was a big critic of Johnny Manziel, a lot of times these guys, you know, Merrill Hodge, a lot, as much as some people can take issue with him, he was right about Vince Young. He was right about Tim Tebow. And a lot of times, you know, these guys are wrong, you know, even, and that's even the, you know, the nature of the book is, as I wrote about, like, these guys are, you know, great credentials by their name, and they spend hours and thousands of hours doing the evaluation, but they still get it wrong half the time. You know, it's, it's, it's such an inexact science. <clears throat> now, in Dilfer's defense, you know, he's, he's gotten it right a bunch of times too, but I think it's a crapshoot. You know, sometimes you can overthink it. And I, I do wonder sometimes if a lot of people who have, you know, all this insight, they do overthink it. But, you know, to their credit, they know a lot more about what goes into the position than you know somebody who didn't play the position or somebody certainly didn't play the position at the highest level because you just don't know the nuances of what's involved. I mean, for instance, there's a whole section of the book about how Johnny Manziel and Logan Thomas are getting trained to get ready for you know their their pro days, and uh, Whitfield does all the on-field stuff, and Kevin O'Connell, who is a 
you know, back up to Tom Brady in the NFL and bounce around the league for like five years, does all the classroom stuff. And it was fascinating to hear and see all the detail of what goes on in that room, in that classroom. And unless you played in the NFL you pro- and played quarterback, you probably don't know a lot of that stuff. And so I can see why those guys feel strongly about they do about their evaluation compared to people who didn't play because they just don't know coverages. They don't know. It's like they don't know what they don't know. I mean, same thing with Jordan Palmer. You know who you see in the book is training Blake Bortles. I mean, he will ask Teddy Bridgewater something. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't get it. You know he knows a little bit. He doesn't know a lot. And I think that you know that kind of insight is is you know can be you know can be pretty amazing to have. But that doesn't mean you're always going to be right. Yeah, the the evaluation stuff is great. Which which makes it curious to me is like why people get so defensive about evaluations because if you evaluated. There's like the physical attributes, like this guy's got a strong arm, he's fast or whatever, their arm talent and all the different kind of buzzwords that people use. I mean, if you're watching, so much that goes into the position, like vision and, you know, all the decision-making that goes on. And they try to quantify, I guess, you know, somehow, but it's really hard to do where if you're under center and you take a step back and you're looking to the, the right side of the field, the really good quarterbacks can still kind of see what's going on in the left and they can – to, you know, they almost feel that oh, that guy's about to get open, and they have the sense to just turn their head and throw it that way, where other quarterbacks don't have the ability to do that. So, it's it, for me, it's it's weird that they get so defensive about the evaluations because so much is just it's just really hard to know unless you see them out there performing. It's hard to, I mean, at that next level, it's hard to project if they can do that or not. Do they have that that quick sense to be able to see what's going on and, and feel what's going on in the pocket and out in the coverages and everything? It's just so much you just don't know until they get there. Did you know Nick Foles was going to be as good as he was? Did you know that Brett Favre, you know, all these different guys, it's really hard to tell, but it seems like they're putting so much into these, uh, into their uh, analysis of what these guys are going to do with projections and get really defensive about it. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that they use it as a way to, uh, you know, as almost like their worth as evaluators and their worth as as football men is kind of tied into their evaluations. I guess that's human nature, you know. Um, and some guys are better at evaluating quarterbacks than others, to be yeah. honest. So <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's an, it makes for an interesting debate topic for sure. Yeah, but I mean, even the best are going to miss. And every, you know, every... <laughs> NFL program out there, there's always a change when you go transition from high school to college and college to the NFL and even from NFL one team to another. I mean, every NFL team thinks they're an expert at evaluating these players. They have whole staffs of scouts, everything, and they miss, you know, they, they, they screw up. So I I don't think if, uh, you know, George Whitfield thinks someone's going to be great and he ends up being terrible or Trent Dilfer or whatever. I mean, I think this is the nature of, you can't know everything. And, uh, but it, it was really interesting, the competitiveness there and how, you know, my evaluation's better than your evaluation. It's like, wow, it's just fascinating to read about. Yeah, it is. And look, I mean, I think we see that on a, you know, on a, on a similar scale with college football. I mean, I'd use the example, like, remember being around, uh, you know, USC a lot last season when Ogeron took over at the interim. And you have Buck Allen, and that staff fell in love with Buck Allen. Buck Allen couldn't get him off the field. That doesn't mean Lane Kiffin doesn't know anything about football or or Kennedy Pola didn't know anything about running backs. It's just some guys have a different feel for guys than others, you know, and Tommy Robinson was the big uh, Buck Allen advocate and believer. And, and, you know, obviously it paid off 
for them. But, you know, certain guys, it's just, um, you know, it's, I think you can go on people's track record, but they're going to have misses. And there's enough stuff where you can point out and go, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Look what he missed on or whatever, you know. And that's just the, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very fickle business, I, I guess that was the way I'd put it. And then uh, as far as if you want to do a kind of different way of looking at the quarterbacks, that the, the most interesting part of the book to me, I've said a lot of things interesting in the book. But for me, the most interesting was probably the Tom House parts. And uh, maybe you can kind of give a background of, of what Tom House is, his ties to USC, and how he's kind of different from a lot of the other, you know, quote-unquote quarterback coaches in the book. Yeah, Tom House was quite, like, was, was great to, that, I, that I was thrilled that he was open to let me spend time around there and kind of learn about what he does and how he does it. You know, he was a former major league pitcher, journeyman pitcher, uh, who ended up as a pitching coach for the Texas Rangers and a few other places where he was the pitching coach to uh, Randy Johnson and Nolan Ryan, a bunch of other great talents. And then he was, you know, he played at USC and was a Rod Dato guy and then came back out to USC afterwards. But he's also very, very well educated, has a bunch of degrees, is probably the leading uh, biomechanics guy in the sports field in the country, maybe if not in the world, and has all this, you know, technology that he is, is, is has gotten gotten uh, for, you know gotten to at his at his uh, disposal to kind of tie into all of what he does. And he's not just a biomechanics guy. There's a lot of other layers to his teaching, and he's written a bunch of baseball books. Well, anyway, about 15 years ago. Uh, down in San Diego, Cam Cameron is coaching with the San Diego Chargers, and he's, you know, very intrigued by what Tom House is doing. He said, I'd love to bring my quarterback, Drew Brees, who was a struggling young quarterback, and put him together with Tom House and see what happens. And they hit it off, and, and you know, as you see in the book, Tom House basically turns Drew Brees' career upside down, and he turns into be a star quarterback and probably, you know, maybe makes the NFL so, uh, Hall of Fame someday. And then from there, he gets Tom Brady, and now Tom Brady's a huge Tom House believer, and Joe Flacco, and Alex Smith, and Matt Castle, and a bunch of other quarterbacks have come out to him. And so when I would go out there uh, last last fall, you know his his big project underneath the wraps was was Tim Tebow was out there every day, and I had a bunch of other guys, but Tim Tebow was there every day, and and uh, Tom House swears that he has fixed or cured. Tim Tebow. The problem is no NFL team at this point is willing to take a chance to find out. Tom House says Tim Tebow's issues were when he was inaccurate, he didn't know why and he couldn't fix it. Well, now he knows why and he's given him the tools and he's timed him up. So now those issues have, have been resolved. And he has enough hours of throwing it the right way where he shouldn't have those challenges anymore. And now he has confidence he can make the throw and before he didn't. And here, and you know, the chapter starts out where you get this great Tom House lecture where he's got all these baseball people in and he's talking about it. Everything from like a fantastic story about Julio Franco being able to hit 130 mile an hour fastball. That was cool. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got so much amazing stuff and how it relates to, to performance and quarterbacking. Um, you know, he was just, he was one of the more interesting people I've ever, I've ever interviewed. And now, the upshot of the Tim Tebow stuff is that was all last winter. I, co- I remember a couple of weeks later, I go to the NFL Combine, and I'm basically asking the Tom House stuff to NFL people I know. And at one point, I have dinner with an NFL defensive coach, and I said, you know, do you buy that he's fixed? He's like, no, because he can't be fixed. 
It's like, what do you mean? He goes, the stuff that the reason why Tim Tebow can't thrive in the NFL is because he's just not wired to do it. He just, when the ball is snapped, they're static and it's cloudy and he can't react the way that Peyton Manning can react or Tom Brady can react or Russell Wilson can react. And it's, and that's the kind of stuff you cannot fix. You can improve on a lot of other things, but that's the area where he's really lacking, and that's it. And I got that reaction from a couple of people, and, and obviously the NFL is not open to, you know, the door is shut on Tim Tebow at this point. Well, interesting stuff there with uh, Tom House, but the, the fact for USC fans he, you know, his office is at USC. Like he works there. Is there something? Is there a connection with the USC quarterbacks? Does he work with Steve Sarkeesian, like Cody Kessler, Max Brown, those kind of guys? Is that something that that he they embrace? Nothing, no, you know, he his office is right, you know, behind the third base dugout. dugout. And a lot of people have come through. You know, Liner had worked with him a little bit. I, one guy he did work with last uh, last year when I was out there was Matt Barkley. Would be out there with him. And, you know, I, you know, I always I thought Matt's a great kid and a great guy at this point, not kidding anymore, I guess. And, uh, you know, he was out there with Tebow and Ryan Griffin, who was a backup quarterback, I think, with the Saints. And, you know, they would train in El Segundo during the day. And, and Barkley was a, he became a real big believer in, in Tom House and what he does and how he does it. Um, like I said, just fascinating stuff. And, uh, you know, he's got – some other guys who are USC pitching, you know, USC baseball players who he does work with. Now, I'm not sure. Like, I know that Max Wittick was still a Clarkson guy, um, but it was funny. There was some overlap at one point. Like, Terrell Pryor was training with Tom House, but was also training a little bit with Steve Clarkson, but ultimately ended up more as a, as a Tom House guy. But, um, you know, I, he's not cheap. That's the other thing, you know, for what, for what, he, what he charges and, and the technology and everything else. So, his business now is really starting to grow. Before it was just like high-end guys, whether it was Drew Brees or Tom Brady. Now he's getting involved with, uh, you know, more college guys and all. Well, the, I, it's interesting because I, the, I guess the feeling I got was that Tom House was more of a, it was kind of, you know, the the rotational stuff, the mechanic stuff. Like, could you still work with one of the traditional coaches and work with Tom House to do more of like the mechanical stuff? I think you could, you know, like like uh, Bo Wallace, the Ole Miss quarterback, came out for a week, and Dan Werner, his, you know, the offense coordinator, Ole Miss, uh, you know, he was a big believer. And I know that Tom Herman, who's the quarterback coach and the offense coordinator at Ohio State, Tom Herman asked me a lot about about Tom House and and wanted to send uh, J T Barrett and another quarterback out here. You know, it, it was expensive, but they wanted to. Uh, to, to get that training. So there, there is ways to supplement it. You know, Tom house isn't, isn't a quote per se football guy. He is going to be, you know, he's going to do some things and you can incorporate it. So I think that's, that's definitely, you know, plausible. Um, you know, the other thing is he has, uh, Adam Dato, who's, who's Rod Dato's son was a former, uh, was a former modern day guy. And also was a, uh, was a relief pitcher at USC is, is a is a business partner now with uh, with House as is um, John Beck, a former NFL quarterback who played who played at BYU. So they their business has grown, and I think right now I think the challenge for them is how do they manage all the clients they have. Well, it's Bruce Feldman. He's a writer and TV analyst for Fox Sports FS1. You can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB, and his website is BruceFeldman.com, and he's the author 
of the QB, the making of, of, of modern quarterbacks. Uh, great book. You definitely want to go check it out. Where can they uh, find it, Bruce? Just go to Amazon.com and search the QB or go to my website and you can get it. Um, you can obviously get it, too, in, in bookstores. But the easiest way is just to go to Amazon.com and you can have it delivered probably the next day. Or if you're in Manhattan Beach, you know, try to break into that uh, complex that Bruce lives in, uh, gated <laughs> community, and maybe he'll give you a copy. He'll say, <laughs> no? Yeah, that's, 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 definitely, that's definitely an alternative. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> Do and that. Maybe just... you can catch this. Maybe catch this awful cold I have in the process. Yeah, I'm sorry for uh, keeping you on for so long. I know Bruce has been sick. His uh, son Ben's been sick, and and Bruce got sick. So thanks for at least uh, coming on there and and gutting it out. Tough performance when you when you're down. Yeah. Hey, if you could go to Pullman, I could I could do this. Okay. All right. Well, Bruce, thanks so much for coming on the the show, and hopefully all the USC fans. It really is uh, so much centered around the West Coast, and if you like college football and like quarterback play. It's a really interesting read. I think you'll be a lot more informed about uh, what goes into making a quarterback after you read the book. So thanks again, Bruce. Thank you, Ryan. All right, everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to another special edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.